On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. When you work together, you can increase the opportunities to both prevent and reduce food waste. Simply put, waste costs. Finding ways to be more efficient saves money and resources. The Senate passed a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. What's the impact on workers and businesses? And in our business profile, a medical facility using technology to improve care. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of August 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The Regional Partnership for Food Waste Solutions is holding a series of meetings with stakeholders in various communities this month to form partnerships to divert food waste and help create a more efficient economy. Jennifer Trent is a waste reduction specialist with the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. We are working with four regions across the Upper Midwest. That includes Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Illinois. And we go into these regions that includes, you know, about 25 mile radius of towns. And we go into these regions and we try to bring people together to find solutions to food waste they're generating. So we try to span the gamut. You know, we look at prevention strategies. We look at uh, composting, donation. Why aren't more people donating food to food banks and food pantries to feed the communities food insecure? And then we actually try to forge partnerships between organizations trying to reduce food waste. For example, let's say a K through 12 school wants to send all of their excess food to a local pantry, but they don't have transportation. Well, can we work with the the regional real estate agency or car dealership that has cars? Can they donate time to transport this food for the K through 12 school? What we're really trying to do is create and forge these partnerships to increase opportunities to prevent food waste. Now, I know that in the past, there used to be very stringent rules, for example, with a K-12 school. If there was excess food, they could not just simply pass it out the back door, dispose. It just simply was wasted. And so this is a way to make sure that the chain of custody is pure so that there is no problem with spoilage, there's no problem with nefarious persons doing things, but yet it avoids the waste. Right. And we can walk them through the policies and Good Samaritan Act actually protects people from liability when they donate food to the proper organization. And so there's you know, really no reason people shouldn't be donating as long as they maintain food safety during the donation process. That's a huge, important issue. And that's why a lot of people don't donate because they think that should the food make someone sick, they believe that they're liable. Well, that's not true. There is federal liability protection. So we want that word to get out. We want grocery stores and restaurants and cafeterias and institutions to understand these rules. Now you have a series of meetings coming up in August. What is the goal of those? What do you hope to accomplish with these various meetings in places from Prairie to Sheen to Milan to Charles City? So we're going to be in each one of these uh, regions working with food waste stakeholders to come together to talk about the challenges and barriers. 
And then we're going to try to break through those barriers by working together as a region and within communities to try to come up with solutions. You know, when you work together, you can increase the opportunities to both prevent and reduce food waste. Sort of like that transportation example I gave you. There's a whole bunch more examples than that. If a community has a compost site where people can take yard waste, we can show them how to add food waste to their compost site. And we can guide them through best management practices as well and stay within the realms and the boundaries of the regulations. So there's that as well. And anaerobic digestion, you know, there's some AD facilities across the region. We can hook them up and forge partnerships with anaerobic digestion that accepts food waste. Um, there's a whole gamut of strategies that, that we want to present to these people and then bring them together to, to work through the challenges and barriers. We're going to be in Prairie du Chien on Tuesday, August 17th at Eddie's Irish Pub. And that meeting is at four o'clock. We'll be in Charles City at the Pub on the Cedar Thursday, August 19th at four. And then we'll be in Milan, Illinois at Pagalo's Pizzeria Wednesday, August 25th at four. Once we are finished with these series of meetings, we will be offering on-site training as well. So anyone who's interested in training learning about some of the regulations and strategies for implementing methods, we'll be conducting those trainings. So like learning how to get a tax deduction for charitable contributions, what do you need to know prior to starting to do that? How to compost following best management practices and the regulations pertinent in your state. There is how to set up share tables at cafeterias training. And then partnership training, you know, how do you get a volunteer base and maintain that volunteer base to help with some of the strategies that you're implementing to reduce food waste? Talk a bit about the scope of the issue, because obviously any food that is wasted, it is tragic, it is unnecessary, but some may not appreciate the scope in the aggregate, especially when you start talking about a K-12 hot lunch program, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, if you take a look at the environmental, economic, and social consequences of food waste, 40% of food waste ends up in the landfills. The freshwater consumption used to produce the food is lost. From basically planting the food to harvest to getting it into our own homes, it's lost all along the way. So financially, food waste costs $165 billion a year. Throughout even the pandemic the last year, there are so many more people looking for food, people who need food, food insecure people, you know, that hits the social aspect of food waste. And then the environmental aspect of food waste, food waste generates methane in landfills. And methane is 20 to 25% more potent at trapping heat in Earth's atmosphere than carbon dioxide. And so getting food waste out of the landfill to better uses just seems like a no-brainer because you can reduce the societal strain by donating food. You can reduce the cost associated with disposal, and you can reduce the environmental impact by getting it out of the landfill. So for someone finally who's listening and, again, may not appreciate this because we talk about food insecurity and people look around and say, well, we're in Iowa. How can there be food insecurity? We feed the world. Where can they either go for resources to help school them on this topic, or what can you say so that people do realize that this is something that should have broad appeal and is not limited to people with certain interest in the environment, shall we say? 
one of the big issues is taking a look at the statistics on Feeding America's website regarding how many people are in poverty, how many people don't know where their next meal is coming from. I think last year it was one in eight Iowa residents didn't know where their next meal was coming from. So if you go to a movie theater, just imagine one in every eight of those people stuffing bored. I mean, it's a lot of people who need assistance with food. And if that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, I don't know what does. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then the cost, how much food the average person throws. I put a compost bin in my backyard to kind of make me feel a little less bad about it. But the cost, you know, what what are you spending on food that gets thrown away that you don't eat? There are statistics out there from the National Resource Defense Council about how much the average family tosses in food. I believe it's $1,400 for a family of four a year that is thrown away. So that's a lot. You know, that's money that you could be using elsewhere. Jennifer Trent is a waste reduction specialist with the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. We connected by Zoom on Monday, August 9th. For more on the trio of meetings starting next week, go to iwrc.uni.edu. Still to come, the impact of infrastructure. And in our business profile, robotics to improve surgical care. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Family Business Center by UNI, sponsors of an event in Boone on August 19th called Tour, Lunch, and Connect with the Fairway Family. Learn more by going to AdvanceIowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from the Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for you and your farm. Join their growing family of more than 12,000 farmer members now during Soybean Month. Activate your farmer membership today at IASoybeans.com, powered by the Soybean Checkoff. By a vote of 69 to 30 this past Tuesday, the U.S. Senate passed a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. And through the reconciliation process, Democrats promise there's more where that came from. Mark Mix is president of the National Right to Work Committee. I asked him to assess the impact of the first infrastructure bill. When you're spending trillions of dollars and on top of the trillions of dollars that have already been spent, it gets a little bit worrisome despite the impact or the alleged impact of an infrastructure bill. Certainly, there are roads and bridges and ports and railroads that need to be, you know, cleaned up and spruced up and repaired. And and that's a legitimate uh, exercise, although I think maybe states could be doing more of that as it relates to their infrastructure. But here we are with the federal government doing a $1.2 trillion bill. But the interesting part about all this, Jeff, is that, you know, there are so many provisions in the bill that talk about uh, things that are not infrastructure. There's uh, a $10 billion expenditure for a civilian climate corps, and those are the folks that are going to be talking about environmentalism. And, and while on one hand you have workers in the energy industry, the current energy industry, 
they will probably be penalized because of the so-called Green New Deal elements of this infrastructure bill that are clearly in here. Then you have subsidies for electric vehicles and zero-emission vehicles that um, you know the president has endorsed and driven around the White House a couple of times. And interestingly enough, those subsidies only go to union-made electric vehicles. So the largest manufacturer of electric vehicles in the country, Tesla, who uses about 90% of the components are made in the United States compared to, to Chevy's Bolt, which 75% of those components are made outside of the United States. That one will get subsidized, but Elon Musk and his Tesla will not get subsidized unless, of course, they agree to UAW, United Auto Worker Union, representation for their workers. So there's lots of stuff going on here that doesn't meet the infrastructure test, but that's no surprise in Washington. And then it turns out that this infrastructure bill is linked to the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that will come to the Senate and the House probably in September. For the record, U.S. Senator Charles Grassley was one of 19 Republicans joining all 50 Democrats in voting for the bill. U.S. Senator Joni Ernst voted against it. Coming up, new advancements in surgical care. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Waste Reduction Center, holding a series of meetings as part of the Regional Partnership for Food Waste Solutions Program. The next ones are Tuesday, August 17th in Prairie du Chien and Thursday, August 19th in Charles City. For more, go to iwrc.uni.edu. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from Iowa History Journal. The current July-August issue features a cover story on legendary baseball pitcher Dazzy Vance. Get your copy of Iowa's only popular magazine devoted exclusively to its fascinating history at Fairway, Hy-Vee, and at iowahistoryjournal.com. In our Business Profile segment this week, meet Dr. Brent Overton a surgeon with Steindler Orthopedic Clinic. As I learned when we connected via Zoom this past Tuesday, technology is leading to great advancements in orthopedic surgical care. Steindler Orthopedic Clinic has been in practice since 1950. It was started by Dr. Arthur Steindler, and we are currently in Iowa City as our main office. And then we also have satellite offices in Muscatine, Burlington, Washington, and Williamsburg, and Kiyosakwa. I primarily see general orthopedic patients, but my largest focus at this point in my practice is joint replacement surgery. So although I do see other joints and I take care of rotator cuffs and carpal tunnel syndrome and knee arthroscopy, my largest portion of my practice is joint replacement, knee replacement and hip replacement. Now, obviously, the clinic, having been around for some six decades, the treatment of these conditions because of things like robotics, et cetera, it's wildly different than when the doors first opened, I trust. Yes, I've been with the practice since 2001. So 20 years ago, often patients would be in the hospital for more than seven days. The practice has gotten to the point now where most of our patients are able to go home same day. That's through advances such as better anesthesia care, better pain medication, kind of changing how we mobilize patients, setting up expectations, physical therapy prior to their surgery. So there's many things we do 
to allow them to mobilize much more quickly. And the studies are also showing that that's a good thing. A lot of our patients are afraid that that's too dangerous to go home the same day, that it's careless. But actually, the data would say that early mobilization, getting people up and going is very therapeutic. And it actually reduces complications such as blood clots in the legs and pneumonia and urinary tract infections and things that could complicate surgery. And also based upon their support system, because if you have an individual of somewhat weakened health generally in their mid-80s who lives alone, that's a very different situation than someone who might be in their 50s or 60s with a knee replacement. They might have a spouse. They might have adult children nearby. Again, it all depends on the individual needs and overall familial situation. Absolutely. I often tell my patients when they tell me they're unique because they're 85 and they live in their own home on the farm and they have to go upstairs to the bathroom, that's an everyday occurrence in my clinic. So we're very comfortable with extremely independent patients who still live on the farm. And yeah, support system is very important. And fortunately, because we do live in Iowa, we really have a culture of families that take care of one another and uh, communities that take care of one another. So we're really blessed in that regard to have such a supportive uh, family and community-oriented place to live. So explain to me what robotic-assisted surgery is, what is the new development that you folks are implementing, and what the benefits might be for someone who is receiving a replacement. Well, the first thing it's not, it's not like watching the Jetsons. So there's not a robot in the room doing the surgery. That That may disappoint some people when they truly hear that. They may be looking forward to that, but there's no robotic uh, surgeon. There's no danger, Will Robinson. There's no no, uh, robot that that we are working, you know, side by side and the robot has arms and, and they're doing the surgery. So robotically assisted surgery is really using technology where we have very advanced computers and very advanced cameras that can actually see how the joint is moving in space in real time. And it allows us to do what we do, but really be more accurate and precise. You know, Steinler's been known for many, many years for very high quality and doing an excellent job at joint replacement. And we have very well-trained doctors and we have excellent outcomes. And we're just taking that to the next level where we're being more precise. We're able to actually put numbers on things when we're measuring movement very accurately or stability very accurately. And the robot gives us those things in real time. And that just allows us a tool in the operating room to be very precise about how we're doing joint replacement surgery. The data is showing that The precision gets better and better, and we're hoping as time goes along that that's proven in long-term outcomes. Obviously, robotics is relatively new, so we don't have a lot of studies to give the proof. The proof is in the pudding, if you will, but we can tell people that we're able to be much more precise. And it's just a, it's another tool, but it's a very exceptional tool. And so when we're talking about being even more precise... This allows a better outcome for the patient, I presume, in terms of recovery and, again, data still coming in, but the long-term success of the replacement and enjoyment of life by the individual patient. Yes, I think there's a lot of things we do 
to make the immediate outcome better. But really, when you're talking about precision, you're trying to create a joint that's not going to just look good for a year or two. You know, it's an investment that you really want a joint replacement that's going to go decades. In order to do that, to make those improvements where knee replacements last more than 10 years, more than 20 years, maybe up to 30 years, we don't know. You have to have excellent alignment and precision. And that's what we're aiming to do. It's really an investment for the long-term outcome of the patient. And that's something I talk to patients all the time is they might have a lot of questions about their immediate recovery. And we're very interested in that. But really, you're doing a surgery that you want to have an excellent long-term recovery, that it's a joint for many, many, many years. And this is only going to increase in terms of number of procedures, correct? Not only because technology, I'll use that phrase, technology has allowed these artificial joints to be even better, but now you add the robotics for preciseness. I don't want to say commonplace, but but this could be exponentially more popular in terms of just the numbers of procedures you folks do, I assume. Well, if we look in our neck of the woods in Iowa, we really have this perfect storm where the fastest growing orthopedic procedure in orthopedics is knee replacement. And we have a very aging population in Iowa. So we really have this location where knee replacement is rapidly growing. And although that's occurring throughout the nation, we see it very clearly in Iowa because our patients are getting older. There's going to be a need for doing a lot of knee replacement, particularly where we live in the corridor here. And that's what we're trying to do is meet this need and not only be able to do good joint replacement for our patients in the corridor in Southeast Iowa, but excellent and really meet that need and do a great job. Dr. Brent Overton is a surgeon with Steindler Orthopedic Clinic online at steindler.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR extras and IBR business profiles. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.